Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Filling the Frame podcast with me, Kyle McDorman. Today, we have Peter Andrew Luschik. We talk about him growing up in Ottawa, Canada, getting a start into photography, his notable projects, and current projects which will benefit the people of Ukraine. Hope you guys enjoy. Hello. Hey, hey, how's it going? Good. How are you doing, Peter? I'm doing great. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, I'm super excited. Um, I've been following your work for quite a while, and I just, uh, I'm really excited to be able to have a conversation with you. My pleasure, man. Um, can you hear me okay? Does everything sound okay on your end? Yeah, you're, you sound great. How about mine? Yeah, yeah, I hear you good. Okay, cool. So, uh, how how's your how's your day go, morning going so far? Um, so far so good. I'm kind of knee deep in this retouching project. I shoot for a furniture company, and we were in production for three days last week. And um, I'm spending my weekend retouching those photos. And this morning, up here in Toronto, where it's still kind of the tail end of winter, there was like this weird. Um, you know, sunny, sort of like 60 degree morning. That's very uncommon. So I went for a big run and now there's this cold front moving in and there's like 60 mile an hour wind starting. So the wind's like howling. You might actually hear it in the background, but the, the nice day's over now. And uh, yeah. I, I guess uh, the wind's moving in and stuff, but yeah, it's been great. I'm just kind of trying to finish up this project and um, yeah, I'm excited to talk to you. Awesome. Yeah. Where I'm here in, southern california so our winter isn't really a winter it's it's in the 40s right now this morning but i'm sitting in my garage and not not too not too cold Um, are you in san diego or no i'm in orange county i'm in a a little city called tustin cool yeah um so mostly here we're just here to talk about your photography and just kind of where you came from and and so let's we can start out with that. And so, uh, where were you born and raised? I was born and raised in Ottawa, Canada, which is um, the capital city up here. It's a city of about, you know, nowadays probably around a million people, but when I was growing up, probably half million. Um, so I grew up there. I lived there until I was eighteen. Uh, that was around the year two thousand. I moved here to Toronto. Uh, to go to school and then after that um i started i started working here as a photo assistant and uh, and yeah that's sort of uh that's sort of where i'm from i grew up in a part of the part of ottawa called beacon hill which is a really nice sort of leafy suburb that was um built mostly in like the 60s and 70s okay that's right and then yeah. uh yeah i'm a i'm a big hockey fan so i i know a little bit about canada but not Oh, that's cool. Not yeah, too yeah. crazy. So I, I grew up, I grew up um, in Ottawa, and they um, they they didn't have a team the whole time. I was like, you know, in, in the like a fanatic for hockey. Mm-hmm. You know, between sort of like six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, uh, we didn't have a hockey team in Ottawa. So you were either a Montreal fan or a Toronto fan. The city was sort of split, uh, largely based on what language you spoke the uh you know the french canadian yeah. population of ottawa was generally cheering for the 
for the uh, for the Canadians, yeah, Montreal, Montreal Canadians, and then and then the English speaking part of the city would cheer for Toronto, and then right around I guess 1990, 1991, Ottawa got a team, which as you can imagine was a huge deal. The Ottawa Senators came in 1991, and then sort of so there's this weird moment where like, you know, half the city was diehard Toronto fans, half the city was diehard Montreal fans. Montreal's only about an hour and a half away from Ottawa, so it's sort of like almost like a sister city. And then and then in comes a new NHL team into, you know, a market that was like five hundred thousand people. So it was a super weird time where a lot of the people in the city would still cheer against the home team because they had allegiances to either Toronto or Montreal. And it's sort of it kind of still endures. It's a weird it's a weird city that way. Yeah, definitely. And we have like, I'm a Anaheim Ducks fan. So mm-hmm. when the Ducks came, it was kind of like you're either, it was pretty much Kings or up in LA, which is only about 30 miles away. But right. it pretty much seems like every game you go to, it was always the away team had the bigger fan base because it was just kind of like, oh, the Ducks, they're this Disney team you know, family friendly, whatever. And it wasn't until like yeah. the 2000s until they started getting, being heavier Taking and bigger. Seriously. Yeah. And people started really being Ducks fans. And uh, yeah, oh, for sure, man. And I, I mean, um, I don't know, I'm sure you remember this, but in, uh, in 2006, I think, or 2007. Um, yeah. That's when the Ottawa, Ottawa, yeah, Ottawa beat the Ducks for the Stanley Cup final. Um, which uh, which in Ottawa, my hometown, was obviously a huge deal. I remember that playoff run very well. So, um, a belated congratulations to you, sir. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, after moving on, after um, growing up there, what kind of or what sparked your interest in the photography? Um. Well, I, I guess my um, my interest was initially. I always loved photography, but I also loved video editing. I wanted to direct. Um, and um, I worked a little bit on some movie sets um, up here. They film a lot of TV shows, movies, and commercials um, in Toronto. So I worked as a production assistant on a few shows and a few commercials um, around 2006, 2007, thinking that it would be a sort of way in into directing. But I learned really quickly that there's a you know, a huge discrepancy between what you do on a movie set. If you're sort of on the camera team, that's something you sort of work your way up to, especially back then there's a real clear hierarchy. And then if you're a production assistant, like you don't even, you're not even in the same world as any of the creative stuff. So when I started uh, assisting in photography, I learned immediately that, you know, you sort of are involved in every aspect of the uh, of the photo shoot because the sets are usually smaller like a big set in photo is like you know five six people where a, you know a big set in film can be hundreds of people and a small set in film is you know 10 people so um so i started assisting in a photo and learned that i could you know discover way more about the technical side and get really proficient at you know cam like operating professional camera equipment and stuff like that so I kind of fell into photography that way because I just felt like I could learn faster than, than trying to direct or working in film. That's kind of what, um, that's kind of where it all started. Um, and there was a exhibition around that same time, um, at the AGO, which is the art gallery of Ontario, uh, which is like the big, the big art gallery here in Toronto. And, uh, uh-huh. there's a photographer named Ed Bertinsky, 
uh, I went and saw his exhibition called Manufactured Landscapes. And um, it was, you know, I was fully, you know, I, I felt like I had, um, you know, it was like a life-changing experience. I came out of there like shaking. Sure. I couldn't believe, I couldn't believe how good the work was and yeah. that this kind of stuff was even possible. And that, that also sort of sparked a huge uh, interest in fine art photography for me. Yeah. Yeah. And like, so would you say, was it, so you apprenticed and you worked under someone, is that where you feel like it really sparked your like career into photography or was, or. Yeah. Yeah. Like a, a big, a big turning point for me was right after university, I got a, I got a desk job and um, uh, it was kind of, kind of wasn't going anywhere. And uh, it was for a, you know, internet sort of startup company. Mm -hmm. They, it was an apartment website and I was editing all the photos that were getting listed online. And um, then, then I, uh, I kind of ran into the situation where this guy was looking for an assistant. Um, and, uh, and I went over there, I went over to there to his studio and they were doing a casting and he, you know, got me to help him shoot the casting. And, you know, I thought I was going to go and meet somebody who was much, much older than I was. And he turned out to be, just a couple of years older than me and okay. was shooting, shooting advertising, you know, mm -hmm. and, and shooting a big campaign. And, uh, I was 24 at the time he was 26 and I quit my, uh, my desk job, you know, right after that, I was like, okay, this is like, I, I couldn't believe that somebody was this far along in their career at that age at the time. And I felt really sort of behind the eight ball. And I just decided I was going to drop everything and, and go all in on photography right around then. Well, did you did you initially go to university for photography, or is it um, kind of no, no? I there's a program in Toronto that I really wanted to get into when I was in high school, applying to go to school, and it was there's a film program and a photography program, and I applied for both um, at a university up here, which at the time I thought was like the way the way to go, and they and I got rejected from from that program. So my second choice was a, like a media arts program at the university of Toronto. So there was some photo based stuff in there, but it was, the program was a bit of a mishmash of like kind of media theory, some production stuff. Uh, but those were in the later years. Initially it was a very sort of like liberal arts type degree. So there was a bit of photo stuff in the later years, which I really enjoyed. And I think I excelled at, but mm -hmm. I didn't go to a program that was like specifically applied photography based, um, which I kind of regret to be honest with you, because I think um, what, when I was getting out of high school, what I was really sort of um, like itching to do was to work in production and work in, you know, in photo uh, mm -hmm. or video immediately and do creative projects. And that sort of came at the tail end of my post-secondary education. And um, I think it had, I had the opportunity to do that stuff like right fresh out of the gate out of high school, I, I might've been further along, uh, but, yeah. Uh, but yeah, it didn't work out that way for me, you know? Um, and, and so luckily I get to do that stuff now, but at the time, um, you know, the, the program I was in, um, wasn't really based on like applied photo, uh, yeah. especially not in the beginning, you know? Yeah, definitely. Like it's always the big gamble. You don't know if you should go to that schooling, get the credentials yeah. of like straight photography, you know, education, or if you go and assist for someone, um, and kind of build yourself up that way. I kind of went to the thing where I went to photo school, was there for a year, realized that, 
having a plaque on a wall isn't going to really uh, edge people to want to hire me. It's more of the the portfolio and the work buildup that you create that gets people's interest in what you do. I Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that there's, uh, you know, still a little bit of like a unfounded stigma around um, going into a program where, you know, maybe it's not a university degree, but it's like strictly about, you know, learning production and, uh, you know, there's a distinction in Canada where it's like, is it a college or a university? I find in the States, you all just call it like going to college and it's sort of, it's an umbrella term for both. We're in Canada. This is changing too, by the way, but 20 years ago, there was a big distinction. Like college was more like, you know, if you're going to learn how to do, um, you know, plumbing, or if you're going to learn how to do, um, you know, nursing, you go to college. And if you want to go and do higher learning, you go to university. And there was that distinction. And a lot of the applied yeah. photography programs were college programs. And um, yeah, and I, I think that there was like a bit of a stigma, like, oh, you're, you're going to college, you're not going to university. But I, I never, I mean, and again, I didn't feel that so much, but I think a lot of people do. And um, yeah, yeah, I think, but I, I think we would more like call it like for us down here, it's more kind of like a trade school. So we, you yeah. can go do like a two year trade school or a, like, something that's a little different than it's more of an education that just goes straight into what you're trying to learn instead of for us like college is kind of like okay two years undergrad of learning whatever the university or whatever wants you to learn and then Mm -hmm. it's kind of like after that it's like the next two years is where you actually jump into your actual um like specific learning of what you want to become later and that's exactly the type of program I took. Um, yeah. It was a four, it was a four year degree program. I mean, if I had to sort of, you know, and again, like I'm fortunate, I feel like things have really worked out well for me and I'm, and I'm super lucky to be here talking to you. I'm super lucky to be here sitting in front of my computer, you know, working on a, a great commercial project. But if I, if I had to sort of expedite landing in the spot and, you know, talk to myself when I was 18 as a person who's almost 40 now, I would probably have said, you know, go do a program at a college that uh, is specific to photography or video and then go and start shooting, you know, weddings right away on the side. And uh, and I think you'll you'll get to where you want to be a lot faster. Like I found for me uh, a tremendous amount of education in terms of photography came from shooting weddings. And I think a lot of people don't think about it that way. And I think a lot of people who are, you know, trying to get into photography are like, Ooh, weddings. I don't know if I want to do that. And I, and I totally understand that. But for, from what I found, it taught me so much about having to think fast and make something look really good that you have to sort of come up with on the fly. And um, if I had been, you know, I, I was 18 years old, I had a driver's license, I could have probably scratched together enough to get a camera that was good enough to start shooting weddings back then. And I think that that would have really accelerated um, the process of, you know, learning how to shoot professionally. Um, so that's what I, this is a suggestion I would have given to myself, you know, I think, uh, from where, from where I'm looking at it now. Yeah, definitely. I could, but it's actually created to, it created who you are now. So it's like, mm-hmm. we, I, we wish we can all look back and I guess hopefully now I'm the way I'm making this podcast to be kind of a message for older photographers to be able to like teach the youth or teach people coming up to be like, mm-hmm. 
hey, there are different paths and there are different ways to go about this whole entire thing. Like photography is such a vast, um, you know, you can make job, money in so yeah. many different ways with photography. And there's, you know, a real distinction, you know, between, you know, like, listen, if you are the best at a certain type of photography or really good at a certain type of photography, it could be something that I, you know, I've never even heard of before. And you can make a fantastic living in a fantastic career, you know, doing that. You could be the guy who, I don't know, like photographs engineering projects underwater. I'm just making this up, obviously, as we go along. But, you know, like, and if you're the guy who is the best at doing that, I mean, you could be busy and you can make a great living and, and you can have a great career. I mean, it's sort of, you know, you can you can totally carve your own way forward in this field, I think. Yeah, that, what, what would you say would be, was your first, like, kind of big project that, got you noticed um i think um you know in sort of 2008 2007 um i started shooting um highway interchanges from uh, mm-hmm. from small planes and helicopters and mm-hmm. um this is before the advent of like commercially available or consumer available drones you can go out to toys r us and get a an amazing drone nowadays and you know it's cost like a thousand bucks or whatever and you can do that type of photography uh but at the time aerial photography was still less sort of easy to come by and I, I was really drawn to uh the you know the sort of engineering that goes into highway projects mostly because uh you know, we, we all drive around on the highways all the time and you, and you go under these overpasses and you don't really think much of them. But when you sort of look at them from, from an aerial perspective, there are these incredibly intricate sort of webs of highways and roads. And it looked insane to me. And I was like, I want to start trying to shoot that stuff. And I had a friend who was uh, learning to be a pilot and we went up in a Cessna and I photographed some of the ones around Toronto uh, and the photographs came out what I thought were really, really well. And I was like, I'm going to, every time I'm in another city, I'm going to look and see if they have something like this. And I kind of learned the system. I'm going to go to like a recreational airport, see if there's a pilot that's willing to take me up and start building a portfolio of these images of highway interchanges. And I think at the time there wasn't anybody really doing that, at least that I'm not, I'm not aware of anybody who was. And, and that I kind of started putting that work out. And I think that sort of people started to notice that. And at the time, it's funny, like so many people who saw those photographs were like, how'd you get that photo? You know, where now people just yeah. assume it'd be from a drone. But at the time, people oh, couldn't yeah. believe it. They're like, "Did you? were you on a crane? Were you on a building? I was like, no, <laughs> actually, I, I, uh, I went up in a Cessna or went up in a small helicopter. And the other thing that was really great about it is I didn't realize that it was like relatively affordable. Like, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't cheap, but like for a couple hundred bucks, you know, you could fly around in a little plane all afternoon, if, especially if you're kind of, you know, get friendly with one of the pilots and they, you know, they need to make up their hours and stuff. And exactly. We, you know, we split gas, we, we'd split gas or whatever. And then I would, you know, so that was, that was the sort of um, first project. I think that um, I think people started to be like, Oh, maybe this guy's onto something or, um, you know, I did some interviews and I, you know, they, they got featured in a few places and, and yeah, sometimes they still get featured to this day, which is really awesome. And I, and I, and I still shoot that project from time to time, you know, whenever I'm, I was in Japan a couple of years ago and I was like, let's do it. Let's go get up, get up in a helicopter and shoot some highways. And, um, you know, it's sort of probably the kind of thing I'm always going to shoot. 
Yeah, definitely. From National Geographic to Wired to Esquire Russia to, you know, and then your yeah. interviews. I saw the CBC interview and yeah. Um, yeah, the CTV news even picked it up. Uh, yeah, like I same thing, like I have a drone myself. So I that's now I didn't get a drone till last year. But um, but even seeing that little movie that's on your website, it kind of uh lost in the landscape it's yeah that was a great little insight on that and seeing how yeah, you going uh, up in the planes yeah it's 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 just fun thing to do right like it's like i if i never had if i never got paid for any of those images i'd probably still be doing that you know to this day it's yeah just, it's just a, like i love flying i love planes and helicopters and I'm, I'm obsessed with all that stuff and you know to sort of be able to integrate that into my photography and into the process of my photography has been super sweet and I don't, you know, I don't ever want to stop shooting that stuff. Well, if you ever need come down to Southern California, we have plenty of freeways for you to shoot. Um, Oh, for sure. (laughs) I'm well aware. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's crazy down here. Um, And then uh, I want to move into, I guess I would say one of my favorite that you've done would be point blank. Mm -hmm. Um, I just really love, like it's, um the one of the glock has been a background on my phone for a while and um it's just i know like i'm i would say that like i enjoy guns and stuff like that and i know that the aspect of where you were shooting it was kind of to give a different portrayal of like maybe would you say like a danger side of it of like hey look at this thing what looks like looking at you I think, you know, the barometer that we sort of, well, that I gauge things by when I'm looking at art or looking at photography, it's like, um, you know, why would anyone, like, it's, it's sort of like, why would anyone give a shit factor? Like, what's the thing about this that's different about any, that's different than everything else? Like, we're obviously all bombarded by photographs and images day in, day out. And sort of what, what, what's, what's enough to make you stop and look? And mm-hmm with those images, you know, not everything that, you know, not everything's going to be, you know, beautiful landscapes and flowers. And I think that like, there is something really arresting about, and you know, an image of a gun pointed at your face. Like what, what else can you say? Right. It's, 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 exactly. it's scary. It's weird. And, and the thing that I think is most interesting about that perspective, it's like, you know, you, it's a confrontational perspective on an object that on its own is sort of like it's just it's kind of dumb it's just a it's just a hunk of metal with a tube in it and <laughs> you know and, and, I, and I think just sort of like starting to confront that aspect of it is really interesting to me too right like it's like it's just a form a mechanical form of a bunch of pieces that are assembled together but what it is assembled to do is shoot a projectile potentially kill you or somebody who's trying to kill you you know what i mean or it's a weapon yeah. of defense or it's a weapon of aggression and 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 uh and we're sort of i think forced to confront all those different feelings uh when looking at those images at least i hope we are you know that's sort of what i think is um you know sort of interesting about them um definitely what's what's crazy to me is you know, it feels just like yesterday shooting those for the first time at my studio, which was like in 2011 or something like that. But to think that back and be like, oh, my God, I've been shooting these for 11 years. Um, 
is pretty crazy. Like I, and it's, and it's another one of those projects, just like the highways where like every now and then I'm like, I would love to see that firearm photographed in that way. And I'm still building and, and adding to that project. And I think that I will always kind of build and add to that project. And now because I've been shooting it for a long span, such a long span of time, the technology's gotten better. So like the cameras that I was using to photograph those early images back in 2011, you know, are way, way, um, more primitive for lack of a better word than you know, yeah. shooting them now, shooting them nowadays where I've had, you know, I'm lucky enough to have shot them with like hundred, 150 megapixel cameras. So that the, the quality of the image, you know, sort of keeps improving as well. Um, so yeah, I, I think that uh, it's pretty sweet that it's just another one of those projects that you get to build on over and over and over and get better at as you're sort of working on them. Yeah, definitely. And I think I, I really enjoy the theme and the way that, or, not that theme, but the way that you have presented them, like I've been, I think the way you presented a lot of your work, like, man, those six foot tall um, prints that have just, just make it just larger than life, you know, like, cause just seeing your, uh, just seeing the Lego men and then the freaking, even the, uh, the gummy bears, you know, just seeing them in this totally, this huge aspect and it almost brings a whole new life to the entire thing. Thanks. Yeah, I really appreciate that. And I, I think that, you know, I was, I was trying to write a, um, I'm still trying to write a sort of artist statement for this project I'm working on right now. And, and I, I was kind of sort of trying to distill down what the, what the sort of, what the big idea is behind all this. Like what, you know, like taking an object, putting it on a white background, shooting it in super high detail, and then presenting it in a larger than life form. Like, what is the what is the thing like I can tell you in very like straightforward language that like I'm just taking something that we never see in that level of detail, removing it from any sort of outside noise, putting it on a white background and then being like, there it is. You can walk up to it, you can look at it. Every little wart and wrinkle and, and sort of detail is, is presented to you in, in super high resolution format. And you've never seen it before in that format most likely so that's that's why it passes the like why should i give a shit factor you know and it's that's yeah. sort of but what is it about sort of indexing all these things that i sort of curate out that are floating around in the world and taking them and, and you know putting them in front of the lens and then translating it to this sort of larger than life hyper hyper focused detail you know I, and i i don't i don't uh you know, I struggle with sort of explaining what exactly it is um, that uh, hopefully makes people think that these are special. Um, and I think it's just kind of like I'm just taking things that I like and I, that I think are the, that I think are sweet or I think are cool, and then just doing my best to to present them in the most sort of rigorous detail possible. And uh, it's a process of sort of making a you know a totem to that thing. Um, or shrine to that thing by putting it in a large, you know, on a huge piece of high quality paper and then putting it in a frame and putting it in a gallery wall or putting it in a, on the wall of a house. And you have this sort of like shrine to this object, which, you know, might be a, a hunk of metal that's a gun or it might be a, uh, you know, a golf ball or it might be a, uh, a Lego figurine or, 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 you know, a bottle cap or whatever it is. And I think that, yeah. like, I, I, I don't think it's, tremendously cerebral really i think that's a sort of um 
you know, it's, it's just a process of kind of taking things I would want to see in that format yeah. and, uh, and, and realizing them, you know? Yeah, definitely. The Lego form is a big thing for me. Cause that's just everything I grew up with. Mm-hmm. Um, so that like, especially like one of the latest one that you posted on your Instagram of the ghosts. And I like yeah. the, the way that you're able to like, take it like with light and then when it's glowing like that glowing print would probably be epic on a wall yeah yeah thanks man um it's yeah it's it's pretty sweet just like i love that you know um i love going into my studio and experimenting and as much as like you know i got my quote-unquote professional i'm i mean i'm just still sort of experimenting and playing and and uh and seeing what works and what doesn't and um it's a lot of fun man i gotta gotta say i I still i get excited to go back there my studio is now the garage in my house which has been a change over covid and i've actually learned to really love it and being able to go back there and just you know mess around and try to work out some weird reflective surface and make it look perfect on the monitor and then print it and pin it up on the wall when the print comes in it's it's exciting man it's uh it's a lot of fun so like talking about uh experimental the uncanny valley series that you did Mm -hmm. so though like can you can you describe that or like can you break that down yeah i i I, it's it's literally an idea i had that came from talking to a photographer friend of mine and he was sort of like if you had a portfolio of portrait images and and, and you're showing them to like, you know, a layman person or a prospective art buyer or whatever. They care so much if there is celebrity portraits in that portfolio. And you can have, you know, 20 amazing images, really well lit, beautiful portraits. And then one, one in there that's kind of like a just okay portrait, but it's Jamie Foxx or Brad Pitt. That's the one that they're going to remember. And because we're, we're so mm-hmm. programmed to be obsessed with celebrity and recognized faces. Yeah. So I thought, I mean, what if I did headshots? of all these, you know, A-list celebrities, um, but tried shooting them in a wax museum. And, uh, and that's, and again, I didn't know how it was going to turn out is a total experiment. Yeah. It's a, just an idea I had sitting in my living room. Uh, and then I got in touch with, um, with the wax museum in Vegas and they were like really, really cool about it. They're like, sure. Come, come on down. Absolutely. No problem. And they let us oh, go that's in awesome. there. Yeah. They let us go in there. Um, it was just me and an assistant and, you know, we put a white backdrop before behind all the wax museums and they're actually set up in a really easy to shoot sort of way. They're in like a big room and they encourage guests to kind of go in and pose next to like Angelina Jolie or whatever. Right. So they're not like behind glass tucked away anywhere. They're just sitting Uh in this like wide open space. Really, really cool. And so we went in there one morning, um, you know, before they opened up and, and they know had a, a seamless, a white seamless and some studio lighting. And, you know, we set it up, tethered to the monitor and the first one we shot was of bruce willis i remember like i was at the camera and my assistant was at the laptop looking at the monitor and the you know the camera went off flash went off and his you know he was just like holy shit like so when i heard his expression i was like okay this worked and i went over and i looked and it was like there's a photo of bruce willis looking right at the right at me and i was like this is this is amazing so then we went around and we you know 
took about an hour and a half. We shot a bunch of the ones that they had there. And then I talked to the people at the, it's a chain, it's a franchise, Madame yeah. Tussauds. So I talked, I talked to the people that had the one at Washington DC, which is super cool. Cause that one's more like a sort of political slant. So they have a lot of like world leaders and presidents. So we went there and got to shoot those. And, uh, and yeah, it turned into this like really fun series you know like i it was and it was completely an experiment i didn't know if it was going to work if they're going to look, look fake or if they're going to look you know too you know and, and some of them you still what's interesting about the uncanny valley either the theory of the uncanny valley is that um you know you have you you have you have a sense as a person that what you're looking at is a replica of a person and not the actual real thing and there's a sort of disgust or sort of uh you know, um, icky feeling you have sort of if you're in like a, uh, a department store and there's like, you feel like there's somebody standing next to you and you look over and it's a mannequin, you kind of have <laughs> this like heebie-jeebie feeling. And that's a, that's, that's what the uncanny Valley theory is. And it was, you know, invented or dreamt up by this, uh, robotics professor in Japan, who's well known, um, in the, in the field of robotics. And, mm-hmm. and so to pass the uncanny Valley, the person, the person looking at the at the at the replica of the human has to sort of buy the thing that they're looking at as the real thing, and because they're photographs, and you sort of remove the need for these things to blink or move or breathe, it sort of it can cheat you into passing the uncanny valley, and and you can you can sort of persuade the viewer that what they're looking at is actually the real thing and not a replica. Yeah. Oh, okay. I think, and I think it even goes further than that, like, because um, when you think about ideas of sculpture that have happened, like, you know, as, as far as, you know, as long as history, people have been trying to build uh, a replica of a person or a symbol of a person. Like you look at like, you know, Roman sculpture thousands of years ago, and it was these super hyper detailed sculptures of people made out of marble or, or whatever of stone. Um, but when you look at a wax sculpture, at a wax museum, I think, and I mean, I could be wrong, but I think it's as close as, as we've come as a species to making an object that looks exactly like the person. And I think that's a really interesting subject to explore. And again, you remove the need for that thing to move, you, the need for that thing to blink to convince you that it's the real thing by photographing it, photographs mm-hmm. a still image by its nature. And all of a mm-hmm. sudden it sort of, it works. You can pass the uncanny valley. Um, so that was kind of the experiment. And it was a lot of fun to shoot. <laughs> well, I, I definitely and, think it, it did its point because, man, when I first saw it, it was just like, whoa, this guy's got the ability to get to all these people. Like my favorite one's probably the Pierce Brosnan one just because I'm a, yeah. big, I'm a big James Bond fan. So it that was one's just, really uh, good. The yeah. actual wax sculpture, I mean, is, is incredible. I mean, yeah. it, it's one of the better ones I've seen for sure. Yeah, there's a, there, one of the wax museums is down here in uh, – Buena Park, probably 20 minutes from my doorstep. So uh, I've, I've Very been, cool. yeah, I've been enabled to see those too. I don't mean to, but yeah. <laughs> um, so you can, going along, you've been able to do a lot of work with a lot of different clients as yeah. Apple, American Express, Audi. Is that Campbell's Soup? Campbell's Soup, yeah. Yeah, so awesome. And then... Um, so what, what kind of brought those to, how did you get those jobs? 
Um, it's a good question. I like the the short answer is like lots of different ways. I mean, when I so, sometimes um, you get this like oh my god moment, and some of these clients sort of find you, and you get an email in your inbox. And it's like the director of photography from Apple being like, hey, we love two of your shots. We want to use it for the new iPad. Can we talk? And it's like, you know, it sort of comes out of the ether. And, and you know, maybe they saw an article somewhere or maybe they found me on, you know, a Google search or who knows. Um, that's So that's one answer. And then the other answer is, um, I think just from like working in the creative industry for going on 15, 20 years, you know, you're sort mm-hmm. of friends when you're coming up and you're young you know, end up becoming um, people in a position to hire you. And when I when I taught a little bit uh, at the university, that's what I would tell my students. It's like the people in this room, you know, you guys are all going to go out and try to find jobs when you're done school, presumably. But, you know, your network that you're building here is like this person is going to get a job at a car dealership and then they're going to become a manager at a dealership and then they're going to be the director of marketing of Audi Canada and then they're going to hire you potentially to shoot their next campaign or something like that, you know, and sort of a lot, a lot of, um, a lot of that sort of client works comes from, you know, friendships I've developed with people over the years who then, uh, you know, end up being people in a position to, to work with you or hire you to shoot their jobs or their campaigns and stuff like that. So that, that's also, um, where some of that work comes from, you know, definitely. Um, so it's a, it's a mix of stuff. Yeah, definitely. I uh, I listened to another podcast. Um, I'm trying to I'm trying to remember it right now, but he has pretty much the same kind of oh, that's the Jordan Harbinger show, and he talks about networking and it's really about um yeah, really about keeping that network and keeping those people around and kind of like never burning a bridge because you don't know who's going to pop up in one position later. Absolutely. That's yeah. I, I agree with that 100%. Um, another thing too is like sort of over delivering, you know, um, when I was starting out, I would get a job where somebody's paying me a few hundred bucks or a thousand bucks to shoot something, but I would treat it like it's a $5,000 mm-hmm. or $10,000 project and like over deliver, do a really good job, really retouch the images, make them look as pro as possible. Like I knew how to do that from working on set. And somebody would hire me to shoot, you know, a bunch of dresses they made um, and they're an independent company with a small budget, but I would treat this as though I was getting paid a lot more and, and put a lot more effort into it. And sort of that's that, I think that's something to uh, really keep in mind, you know, and, and sort of just like, you know, treat every little job as a sort of portfolio building exercise, you know, mm-hmm. and like you can treat this job, you know, as well as, you would treat a job for, you know, an A-list client. And, but, but as a result, especially when they give you a little bit more creative freedom um, because it's smaller client, less people involved, and you can sort of steer the direction of the photo shoot and sort of get a chance to art direct a little bit on a lot of those smaller gigs, you can, um, you know, you can, you can really get something amazing for your portfolio that then hopefully leads to more work, you know. Definitely. Um, that was definitely the exercise, especially in the beginning, but that's still too, true to this day. Like if you email me and I, or call me and you have a, you know, a photo shoot you want to do, and maybe you don't have a crazy budget, but there's something interesting attached to it, maybe the product or the direction you want to take it or 
whatever, then, then I'm happy to take on jobs that don't have, you know, a huge amount of money attached to them. If, if there's something cool there that I think I could, you know, build on. Definitely. Um, so we get a lot of questions talking about, because a lot of people think that you have to have the gnarliest setup all the time to mm-hmm. do, do what you do or have a, a professional, you know, portfolio, but um, cause like you were saying earlier with, when you were shooting the, uh, point blank series early mm-hmm. on, you were using cameras that were just, you know, mediocre or decent at the time, but right. now, now technology has come so far along that like, mm-hmm. I guess what, what's your current camera setup? What have you been working with? Um, I, I work with, um, like I have a Canon system. Um, the camera that I use most often uh, for like in-studio stuff is the 5DSR, which isn't a new camera, but it's still 50 megapixels. And that's mm-hmm. more than anything else that they've come up with since. So it's a camera that's, you know, six, seven years old. But in terms of um, getting like a really high resolution image from a DSLR camera, that's still the way to go. Uh, and then when I, when I can, I don't own the system, but when I can uh, rent it or... Uh, attach it to a job I shoot with um, the phase camera the IQ4 which is amazing it's a it's a 150 megapixel uh, camera system and the files are just incredible that come out of that I'm actually hoping to shoot some stuff with that uh, with that camera this week and that's a that's a I mean that's I mean I don't know if I'm correct in saying this but i think that's just about as good as those cameras gets at this point like i think it's the best camera in the world right now yeah how does your computer handle with those that size well, of file <laughs> it's good my, my computer's pretty good i actually just got another one that's coming from apple but the one that i have is it's a 2015 macbook pro that's uh at the time was like about as good as they got and it, it chugs along it's 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 definitely slower than working with the canon files but it's not it's not horrible yeah. Um, but um, but yeah, no. I mean, it's it's a big deal when you're, especially when you're doing stitching. Like sometimes I'll sh- I use that camera and I'll shoot something in like multiple parts and stitch them together to make like a really crazy high resolution image. You know, out of like a you know a banknote or something like that. I'll shoot it in two halves, so there's actually two hundred and fifty megapixel images that I'm sticking together. And uh, and yeah, you know, you get a bit of the spinning beach ball. <laughs> For yeah, sure. definitely. <laughs> yeah. So uh, with your with your current work right now, I saw that mm-hmm. you just had a show at the S sixteen gallery. Yeah, in Montreal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, in Montreal. And how did that go? Is it still up or is it? Um... Um, I don't think. I think they have a bunch of images that are still up in the gallery, but I do think that um, the the images that I was posting recently were the closing party. So technically oh, okay. I think the, the, the show closed last week, but um, they do still have a bunch of my work there. Um, not just from, you know, sort of that, that particular show, but just other stuff that they carry. Like they have um, a big Snoop Dogg uh, from the Uncanny Valley series. That's, that's there. They have um, a few landscape images, I believe. Um, yeah, so it's that I love those. I love that gallery. Those guys are super sweet. Um, I've been working with them since 2016 or 2015. I think I had my first show there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Going back, I've been seeing, oh, 
just uh, just uh, do a little quick thing on it. Working with uh, Maddie Matheson. Mm-hmm. How how was that? Oh man, um, it's amazing. Like he's just uh, he's such a character, and it really comes across in his like appearance. And it's hard to take a bad photo of that guy. Like I think mm-hmm. it's just um, you know when you look you know, when you look at and any image of him, you know, just on the, like, or any video of him, like, it's like, he's got such a camera presence. He's like, obviously he, like a big guy, but he's also got a crazy big personality. Um, his face is super expressive and like, you know, he's just, uh, he's a real, it's a, he's a, he's a real riot to be around. You know, he's always kind of like got something to say. He's always kind of like moving and talking shit and, um i've shot him a bunch now and uh and it's always you know it's always really fun and um that company that uh does his cookware uh maddie Matheson cookware uh the company that does the design of that's called castor design company um mm-hmm. castor design and um, i've been working with them for years and years shooting all their product and uh so that's another thing too like they're uh you know, I'm just the photographer, like the, the, the design of their product and the, and the, and the art direction is always like amazing. So I'm, I'm so lucky to be teamed up with them and shooting that stuff. And that's how that Maddie Madison thing came about. No, oh, that's awesome. So, yeah. uh, what, so is there anything that you're, what are, do you want to talk about anything that you're currently working on that people should look out for? Oh, for sure. Um, there's, um, there's a fundraiser, for uh for the ukraine um that asked me to contribute something and Mm -hmm. i'm photographing a um a subway token or a couple different subway tokens from the kiev um subway station which is where you know thousands of people are sheltering every night when they're getting bombed yeah definitely uh, and i think it's a really powerful symbol and it just so happens that that particular subway token as an object is really interesting and beautiful and uh and so i'm going to be sharing that and i think that the image is getting um you know printed and sold off at auction to uh to raise money for the ukrainian refugee crisis um so that's something i'm really excited to uh to share with everybody because the image itself is really powerful and i think it's a symbol for something way bigger that a lot of people um i think are you know thinking about right now yeah um so that's that's this week um and i'm also doing an nft launch with my good friend steve twig uh we shot 500 uh 525 canadian pennies from the year 1936 to 2012 i don't know if you know this but canada doesn't have the penny anymore we actually got rid of it so the lowest oh okay the lowest denomination of currency is the nickel. So, um, so we did the years of the penny that where the design stayed the same, and um, mm-hmm. we're, we're we made them into NFTs, and we're going to be selling them, and they're all individual NFTs, so they're all one of one, and we're going to be releasing that, um, releasing that really soon, and um, and the and the artwork I think is is pretty interesting, and the and the way that we've sort of presented it I think is super cool. So that's also on the horizon um in the next little while okay cool like uh where can where can people find your work and where can they uh get at you the the short answer is on my instagram because i put all my like i I refresh my web page every so often but when i'm putting out new stuff because of the audience that it kind of you can reach immediately like 
I just put it on my Instagram. So, um, so yeah, it's the best place. All my new works on there. And, um, I check my inbox on Instagram all the time so people can, uh, can reach me there. And, uh, and I respond to just about all the inquiries that I get. So, you know, feel free, hit me up. I'm an open book. If anyone has any questions, you have any questions? Yeah, definitely. Uh, you, uh, you responded to me pretty quick. So yeah, I was, pretty, I I was pretty excited about that. Oh, my pleasure, man. It was really, really nice talking to you. Yeah, you too. Thank you so much. Yeah, okay. Thanks a lot, man. Let me know if you need anything else. Will do. Have a nice day. You too. Take care. Bye. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Fill in the Frame podcast. Please share with your friends, like and subscribe, and rate if you can. Thank you guys, and have a nice day.